0: Happy Tuesday, lovely people. It's my favourite day of the week because we get to hang together and uh, we've got a real treat for you today. I'll get to that in just a moment. But before I do, next week we're going to be announcing some things and in the Facebook group that we've got going, Present and Sober Facebook group, we're going to be talking about some really exciting things that are going to be launching um, in February. Now, Ellie has mentioned a few of these things before she was supposed to. So this is me officially telling her off. But uh, if any of you have got wind of this and you want to know a bit more, then make sure you come and get into our Facebook group because we're going to be talking about um, a very exciting launch over the next, uh, next the next week or so. Now, today's episode, we've got Sky Nicholson with us. She, It's amazing. She's an inspiration. She's a T&M coach. She has written a book called Unexpected Alchemy and uh, it's amazing. It's essentially poems all around addiction um, and awakening and and just so many shared stories from her journey. And it was a lovely episode to record, full of emotion, loads of really, really powerful things in here. So I know that you're going to love this. So that's it. Without further ado, I'll hand over to us. See you there. OK, lovely people. Uh, it is absolutely our privilege to have um sky with us today and sky is just i I was just saying it's really amazing when you meet a big group of people that every now and again you just know that with some people there's going to be something different a different kind of connection and and i could see instantly that um sky's relationship with the world was was a way of viewing the world that made sense to me as well and so we're so privileged to have her here and you know Sky Nicholson is a TNM coach so often we've always got that in common and uh that's awesome but also she's just just created this incredible thing um a book of poems called Unexpected Alchemy and it's well Ellie I want you to talk about it the way that you did because it 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 was beautiful what you said and um Sky you were just saying this is your first time kind of really talking about it, right? So so we're just privileged to have you here. So welcome. Yeah. That's so cool.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for being my first space to really discuss this book.
2: That's awesome. It's super special. And what, what I was just talking about before we started recording was that uh, one of the things that I think is so critically important in whether you want to call it your alcohol-free journey, whether you want to call it your journey to rediscovering yourself or recovery it, i mean the it doesn't matter what you call it but there, there is this this universal element that is so important and so can be so difficult at the beginning and, and and the way that i talk to people about it particularly in coaching and things like the live alcohol experiment is please don't hide like don't hide we need to uh, to connect with others we need to uh, be brave and be courageous in opening up in ways that we possibly haven't done before and it, it feels intensely uncomfortable I always told myself that that was really great because it meant that growth was on the way so you know how, however you get through it but to to understand that it is so important to not hide but my experience has been and obviously you know that we have this as a medium now so we Sam and I talk quite openly and vulnerably about things that uh, are happening in our lives and our experience and our journey and we're some time down the road now but uh, I and and I think it is a stage process of um, opening up and what I thought was really quite like I I just I, I think that you are amazing, Sky. in that you have taken... Not, so it's, it's not just like you're not hiding. You've taken everything, your entire being, and brought it out into the open to share with everybody as this like completely selfless, beautiful act. And that is like a step beyond not hiding. So we're just so thrilled to have you here today to talk about your work because... The first time I read it, I just like it It got me, you know, when something gets you viscerally, like I I just felt this and, I, and as I'm talking about it now, I can feel it again. It's just it's it's so emotive. It's so powerful. And I feel very blessed and honoured that you one who shared it um, and created it in the first place for for consumption, but that you're also here with us to, to talk about it. So. Um, I'd really like to, to hear from you about this whole, like, so I think we all have that realization that we are about to get vulnerable, but you've got vulnerable, vul- vulnerable in a completely different way. So can you talk a bit about that process and what that felt like?
1: Oh my gosh. So vulnerability is, is my jam. I really love Brene Brown. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you first of all thank you so much for your words it's, um you know when you write something like this it, it, there is a lot of uh ego fear around how are people going to receive this and so um it makes me feel really really great that you have resonated with it um because it is burying my soul you know it is like just being very exposed and raw and um you know i i may have heard this on your podcast i know it's a it's a TNM thing, but when you take away alcohol, it's like draining the ocean. And and what you have is this exposed ocean floor with shipwrecks and oil <laughs> spills, like all kinds of like horrible nastiness sure. that you'd been covering up for so long, right, by the by the numbing. And so, um, you know, that's kind of what it was for me is that after I took the alcohol away, which was in 2018, um, you know, I didn't really start writing for another year or so. Um, I think it took me that long to really get comfortable with looking at the shipwrecks on the bottom of the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at one point I just decided, man, and, it, and it, it was like, it was a very somatic feeling, like a thing rose up from inside of me. and Like it kind of gets stuck, like right at my heart and then at my throat, you know, my my. Speaking my truth, my throat chakra, and then I started writing these stories. And I sat down and typed them. And at first, I didn't show anybody. Um, And then I showed a couple friends. And, And like once, once I start seeing it, it's like Brene Brown says, you know, that shame can't exist in light. It has to have darkness and secrecy. And so as soon as I took these shame stories, and like started showing them to people, I just that that thing that was stuck in my throat just started dissolving, and felt lighter so a friend of mine um actually recommended that I start a blog so that's how all of that's how my writing started is it wasn't actually poetry it was just like this kind of purging of these stories and so I started a blog um and shared it with more people you know but when you first start a blog uh Sam you probably know this when you first start a blog it's like eight people and (laughs) like your best friend read it awesome so but (laughs) yeah right it's more than zero So but you still feel this, um, the light. You still feel the light being shined on things. And I realized that people were responding. Um, you know, it was it was touching people in a way, people that that uh came to me and said, you know what? I I've always thought that maybe I should look at how much I drank. And I really appreciate you telling me these stories and you know, can you help me? What do I need to do? And so um that just that like empowered me to keep going and keep writing. And so the writing evolved, you know, uh, it, it evolved into, um, I guess, more of a, an art form rather than just this verbal purge where it originally started as this verbal purge is that I started taking these pieces of it and um, kind of polishing them into poems because I've always loved poetry. When I was a kid, I wrote poetry all the time. It was horrible poetry. It was like like goth, angsty, teenage stuff about, I wore black all, all, uh, every day for a week and like, you know, um, but to go back to that part of myself and then use that to really look at those things that were causing me pain and darkness and like turn them into something that was like a, like a beautiful little thing. It just, it was so freeing. My soul just felt incredibly free. It's amazing what vulnerability can do in that way. You know, we hide from it, right? Like you said, we hide. We're scared of how it's going to feel to rip that Band-Aid off. But once we do it, man, it feels good.
2: It feels really good. And it is it's it is that freeing, that freedom feeling. And like my own experience of it, it's, it's very much, and I know Annie, Annie has said to all of us in our training, it's like you share your scars, not your wounds, or something that is still raw, perhaps you wouldn't want to go there, but the wh- where you've been able to heal, there is so much uh, to begin, not just, you know, not just for yourself in sharing, but also uh, for others. You know, I, I see this over and over and over where people are willing to share and that idea of going first. It then opens up so much for other people. And it's really interesting to see it in places like the alcohol experiment because you've got a bunch of people thrown together there, you know, thousands of people thrown together that don't know, don't know one another. And it's all a bit softly, softly and quietly. And all it takes is one person, one person to have the bravery and the courage to share. And then everybody realizes we're all the same. Well, we're, we're all the same. Our stories might be nuanced, but we're all the same. So it's a wonderful way to, to connect, I think.
1: Yeah, it's like you can almost feel that collective sigh. Yeah. Where everyone's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm safe. Yeah, and then everybody's hand goes out, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I want to share it too. It's like, it's like a second grade classroom.
2: Yeah, the scrum. But you're right, it's that, it's, it's that safety and for the nervous system. that's that's something something happens physically when when we know that we're safe when the nervous system knows that we're safe it in the body it feels very different from when uh, we we have the sense of danger when there are cues of danger we you know you could all ask yourself what fight or flight feels like or what freeze feels like when we feel safe and we're at home that that is that easeful ah that that sigh of relief it's it's a wonderful wonderful place to dwell but that comes from that first act of being vulnerable being open and being willing to share in the the way that you have which is just phenomenal I mean it's like it is as I say it's like next level
1: well I think that we're all um trapped by that fear of judgment you know and I I still feel it. I mean it's not it's not gone um you know, and there were people close to me in my life that very much advised against sharing some of these stories in a public way um, because of that fear of judgment. You know, and uh, but really, when you look at it, like who cares? <laughs> who cares? This is my journey. And I know now that the people who judge the hardest, it is because that is their shield. That is their Tyvek suit that protects whatever soft, squishy fears and shame that they have inside. You know, as Michael Singer says, it's like your stuff that when people, when somebody touches your stuff and you can feel it like zapping like electric bolts all through you and you shut down, you put those shields up. Um, So I know that the people with the most judgment most likely have the most crap, like all soft and squishy underneath their shell. And they're the ones that perhaps need an example of vulnerability the most to say look look I just like you know took my naked soul out in the sunlight and nothing happened to me I'm okay
0: yeah Yeah, I've been quiet because from the moment you said about my blog I was just hit by some feelings (laughs) that I haven't had for a long time because we we kind of shift really quick. Like there, there was a time is I often like I joke on some of my posts. I'm like sometimes I dance around things, I use metaphor and I'm like, oh I can't really share this one yet. Maybe next year. Because I kind of know that things that I'm like, oh God, I don't think I could ever share that. About a year from now I'm probably going to be like, yeah, I'll get that one out. <laughs> because I know that people are going to resonate with it. And and I can honestly remember hovering over the publish button um a few years back and it just being oh I was crazy. It was a really crazy experience. But the moment I clicked it, the moment I went through that like portal the such, is kind of what it felt like. There was just this magical thing that happened. That's kind of ineffable. I can't really use words to describe it, but the heal it, the it was the missing link for me because it after 19 months of not drinking, I'd returned. And then at the end of my few months of like this big long data point, I kind of realized, whoa, connection and community are the things that I that I'm missing. And the moment I found them and raw authenticity by sharing my story, and I hadn't found the words to to share truthfully with my parents or my friends, and the moment I did it through the blog, I was set free. And it was such a relief. Mm. Fuck, was it a relief? I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like, that's so nice. It was so scary, but it was so nice to realise that.
2: I think the, yeah. the, the thing that's, um, it just struck me as you were talking there, Sam, it's like, so Sky was saying about how you, we all have this fear of judgment, and this is primal, right? So we we have this inbuilt. We need to be part of the pack or the tribe because if we're out on our own, then we're not going to survive. So it's it's inherent in us, and you have to actively work with integrate or work against that to you know with your mindset to be able to to get past limiting beliefs and um, negative thinking associated with that but the ironic thing is that the one thing that you're afraid of judgment and, and and of course there will be people that judge just as you said probably because they're hurting they've got their own stuff but the ironic thing is that and again this bears out from my own experience the more that you share the more that you're willing to share, the connection that then comes is just like next level. And we've talked about this a lot recently because we, well, by now, Sam and I, Sam and I will have met in person. Um, but as of recording this, we still haven't met in person. And we've we were talking recently about just how deep the relationships are like the relationship I have with Sam, the relationship I've built with. Uh, other coaches that I've met through the coach training with this naked mind um, friends along the way in this sober movement sober community the relationships are so deep and they're so different to my friendships and other people in my life not to say that anys any are better or worse than another it's just very different very very deep so despite having that fear of being judged and um perhaps having disconnection actually is quite the opposite but again you have to have you have to be able to hover over that button and still press it as opposed to back off and then go and hide
1: yeah yeah. I mean there there are some poems in this book that were um gave me pause they gave me pause before I published a a lot of the poetry in the book was um, published on medium.com first mm. under a pseudonym. So I used a pseudonym when I first started writing because of that very thing, fear of judgment. And um, you, you know, some of it had to do with having young children in a small town, um, not wanting whatever uh, judgment or shame about my personal story that happened before they were born to um, have any influence on them. Um, and then, but the more I wrote and the more I put out there and the more response I got, like, I just became stronger. It's like, I, like, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it really, but like my energetic body got bigger. If that makes any sense. Like I just felt like I had more, I just took up more space and it, and it yeah. became okay. It just became okay. That, that my son's friend's mom found out this or that through reading my blog. I was like, you know what? I bet she's got some problems too. <laughs> like we all have our shit. And uh, you know, at, at least um, you know, I opened up this space for people to 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 look at their shit and decide which parts of it do the do you want to face and heal? Because you can't heal anything if you're hiding. Like you can't heal anything if you keep it locked inside. And you know, and the funny thing about writing is that um there were things that I thought I was beyond, like that I thought, oh, you know, that happened so long ago. that didn't that doesn't affect me anymore. I'm over that. I dealt with that. And they would bubble up like at the weirdest times, like like in memory form and even sometimes in like a series of words coming together. like the poem itself actually like, like forming itself in my mind without me thinking about it because whatever this memory was, this traumatic experience, this shame story, like it hadn't left yet. And it was in there, like wanting to work its way out. And so like, there's a couple of these poems that woke me up in the middle of the night. I mean, from so long ago too, like from 20 years ago, Mm. shit that happened. And like, and some of it was stuff that I had tried to write about, like sitting in front of my computer like, okay, today I'm going to write about, you know, blah, 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 this part of my life. And I would just sit there and stare at the screen. I couldn't do it. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and it was like, okay, that story was ready to be birthed. And I, like the words would be stirring around in my head and they'd I'd toss and turn. And finally I'd have to get up and like go to my computer and I would just type and like, boom, there it was. And then that feeling of relief, like, oh, you know, like I just like passed something large and grotesque out of my body and ooh, there it is <laughs> yeah i mean how cathartic it's like so healing but once you know you have to allow it there was so long you know i talked about that feeling in my throat i think there was so long that i didn't allow that
2: stuff mm.
1: and when we don't allow those old things to move out of us that's when they cause problems physical mental spiritual emotional problems because we don't allow them to just move through our bodies in a somatic way. You know, we were talking about this before, mm-hmm. before um, how there's different practices, yoga, dance, music, art, writing, that allow for our bodies to move the stuff out that our brains are not even aware we're holding. Mm-hmm. And that that's so important for us, you know, what, wherever you are in your healing process, to just be open to that happening. When you start crying during yoga, you know, um, it's just those things that's just your body saying okay I'm shifting this out you don't need it anymore it's not serving you and um, it, it's just it's so necessary it's so powerful when it happens
0: I'm not sure we're um, I'm not sure we're kind of allowed to let things go until we realize that we're holding on to them <laughs> it's, like, it's like this strange thing where these stories are their stories, they're kept alive through thinking and through thought, traveling through time. And we only ever live in this moment. But that doesn't mean they're not incredibly powerful. And we carry them through time. And when we tuck them away in a little box, you know, Brene Brown talks about, you know, I don't want to open Pandora's box. What makes you think you're not in the box? When we tuck them away in that little box, um, they're there somewhere. But the moment we hold them, the moment we shine a light on them, then we're allowed to see them for what they are. And it's like, oh, OK, you're allowed to go. And and that yogic story that you talk about, it's like it's subtractive. I think so many of us believe that we need to add things in our, to ourselves in order to complete ourselves. Like that's what we're told by society. That's what everybody says. And ultimately, it's about peeling away the layers of the onion until we find the place where we're whole. And writing is deeply powerful for that because it allows us to write our truth, write our stories, see it in the cold light of day, gives us an objective reality on things. It allows us to turn monsters into beautiful things that help other people. And then we can let them go. And they let other people, they help other people let go
1: too. So I have this kind of metaphor story for that very thing. I love the thing about being subtractive is that in our minds, we make things so big. So I was at, uh, we have a holiday parade in our town every year. And it's a like a nighttime festival of lights parade. And one of the things they have in the parade is a hot air balloon um, propane tank that shoots this fire up into the air. And this little girl that we, a friend of the family, we always go to the parade, but she was terrified. because She remembered it from two years ago when she was three, that it was like the world was on fire she was terrified and she like her anxiety about seeing this fire thing again was just so intense and she almost didn't want to come to the parade oh it was this monster in her head and when she came now at age six and saw it coming down the street and that it was just a propane tank shooting fire in the air like Mm. she saw it and turned and looked at her dad and just and kind of like like you could see it subtract like, you could see it fall away. Her fear and anxiety fell away. The monster she had created in her memory was so much bigger than the reality that she saw now from a, from a distance. And I think that's so true with the stories that we carry from our past.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. That's, that's so true. Like, it's, it's like when you take a really small kid to the cinema and they don't understand how movies work. And they are like, it's why we don't show horror movies to kids, right? They're like, they can't disconnect. But actually one of the reasons that you can enjoy the cinema is because you understand how cinema works. You know it's a story. Like you're allowed to get into the flow of the emotion and, and the whole time you like, and a good movie is one that you, you get lost in it, but then you come back out. And and if we're so lost in our story that we have no objective reality, we're pushed around by that thing. And the moment that we gain of the ability to sit in the witness and see our story the movie of life unfold then a different element to life comes in and suddenly we're tapping into something that's unform it's like formless it's before the creation of thought and all of that stuff and that that's that's the spiritual journey that's like touching that place and, and that's yeah i love that metaphor that's really cool like suddenly that monster just evaporates in front of your very eyes very cool
1: yeah, it becomes laughable.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I think I think what would be lovely is to to give people a bit of uh, a feel for exactly what we're talking about in terms of your your own words. But before we get into specific, uh, choose there, there are some specific poems that I've pulled out from your work. But can you just set the scene in terms of uh, the the collection itself um so it's i mean i just i just love i love how you have created it in terms of unexpected alchemy it's just the most beautiful evocative description but i would really love you to bring that to life for people and then we can get into some of the the uh the detail of it too i think that would be lovely
1: yeah, so alchemy, I have my author proof right here. Yay. Alchemy <laughs> is really special to me because I, um, I was a science teacher for 10 years, and, but yet I am also a mystic. So I love alchemy because it is science and magic together. And um, so that's part of the reason I was really drawn to this metaphor for transmutation, because really that's what, that's what I went through, was a transmutation. Where I changed from um, something rough and gritty and dirty, and and what I believed to be unworthy. Um, and then, after finding sobriety and beginning the process of healing, uh, and it, not in a small part um, due to my children having children. I, I changed into something, like at the end of alchemy, you get the philosopher's stone or the stone of knowledge, great insight, right? Um, you know, and I'm still, I'm still hoping to achieve great insight. It's like we're never done in our journeys but, uh, but just that process of changing from something unwanted and unworthy into something that is connected to the divine, connected to source and, and open to um, achieving wisdom. So that's, the, that's how I arranged the poems, um, s- following the, the, the stages of alchemy. So it first begins with um, a burning to the bone, like a burning down to the bone, where um, the alchemist would literally turn it into ashes, and then they would dissolve into liquid. And so the original thing became formless which I believe is something that definitely happens to us when we lose ourselves in any form of addiction. Uh, When we've lost our center, when we're no longer in touch with um, the original soul inside of ourselves, we're very formless, Um, And then they begin this process of separation and conjunction. So they pull out the impurities and they bring together what was left into something new. And then that something new, new life is added into it. And through the addition of new life, change begins to take place at the molecular level. So the substance is literally changing into a new substance. And after that is the final process, which is distillation and coagulation. So it is further uh, purified and further changed into the, um, the sorcerer's stone. And the phoenix, the phoenix rising from the ashes, that's an alchem- um, alchemical metaphor as well. And, yeah, so that's why that's how I arranged it in that way. I just think that that speaks to the process of healing um,
2: universally, really. Yeah, it's it, it certainly bloody does. It's the best, I think It's the best. The best way I've ever heard. It. When, I, when I when I first started reading your work, because I picked up a couple of um, the poems, and then when I read like from start to finish, it's like, oh my god, it, it just makes so much sense and whilst it's um, you know as I said earlier we we all have we all have our own stories and they're nuanced but there's some there's so much that is the same we have the same points of connection and I and I suspect that that is why there are certain poems that have really got me right there and uh, perhaps a good place to start might be that there's, to me there was a theme of there was there were specific relationships that you pick up in there and uh the the first um to th- I think there are two that I would possibly like to pull out because I found it really compelling you, there's a poem called the steady and you talk about this uh this individual in your life and and they, they've endured, right? That, that person is still around now and has co- had quite uh, an effect on you. Could you talk a little bit about that one and that person?
1: Um, yeah, that's one of the first poems I wrote, actually, uh, several years ago. Um, so it's about somebody that I knew in high school, a friend of mine, a male friend. Um, you know, we were never more than friends. And we just like, but we had this kind of strange soul connection throughout our lives. Um, We now live very far away, lives on the other side of the country. I haven't seen him in, I don't
2: know, 15 years,
1: maybe. Um, But the very day that I woke up um, after my last night of big drinking, incredibly hungover, uh, soaked with my own urine because I had wet the bed again. My children were two and four. Um, I had sworn six days before that, that I was going to cut back. Um, I wasn't going to drink to excess. I was never going to get hungover again, you know, and, and as it goes, um, that lasted for about six days. And then one night, for whatever reason, my husband and I opened a bottle of wine, turned into, I don't know, six bottles of wine. And, and there I was, waking up, uh, head throbbing, full of shame, horrified, um, terrified. And I uh, picked up my phone, as so many of us do in the morning, looked at Facebook, and their very first thing I saw was this picture of this, this friend of mine who I hadn't seen him forever from high school. And it said uh, that it was the anniversary of his five-year sobriety. Date. And like that hit me. That was the universe just like, like smacking me across the face. And it like I knew in that moment, that that was it
2: this was the day i was gonna change my life mm. oh god it's just so beautiful it, it, and i wrote a poem yeah <laughs> yeah it's so beautiful <laughs> like I, I i feel like i'm gonna be sense a lot but thank you for sharing because it's just yeah. oh it's so it's just so raw and and beautiful and it makes up you know like the, the, there's there's so much depth to all of this the the, there's another poem that's uh, a little, I think a little earlier on, To Drown a Crow. And um, I, I haven't talked in a lot of detail about this before, but I've, I think I have um, alluded to, you know, like putting myself in some very um, uh, dangerous positions through drinking, when I, particularly when I was younger and I didn't have a lot of care for myself and I was extremely reckless. And I think that poem was, it it had um, for me th- some essence of that, like taking me back to that, that danger and that uh, having to face that, you know, why I valued myself so little. Um, I was almost on self-destruct mode. Um, but on the other side of it now, this realization of, I wasn't wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. And there are a whole host of things that are wrong. And it's not me that should feel uh, shame or guilt, or it's not me that should hide. These things are wrong. And so it, was, it to me, it was extremely powerful. Um, could could you share just a little bit about that would you like me to read it
1: Mm, please I would would love to read it um this is one of my favorite pieces this was one of those poems that was written uh birthed um almost all in one (laughs) take. uh there was not a lot of editing done it just came out of me and this was one of those stories that I thought man I thought I was a um, but I'd love to read it. if <laughs> you The Drown a Crow. I followed him to the jail, but the bars of justice were too weak to hold him and they dissolved under the weight of he said, she said. He slipped through, dripped through like ooze, like slime, like the slippery dicks who say we're always asking for it anyway. Later, I put a dead crow on the windshield of his car, parked in front of my house a big beater of a thing, all rims and misplaced testosterone. He was my neighbor after all. And after all that, he still couldn't keep that rusty bumper from crossing over into my space. An invader of space, that's what he was, believing his big jutting things could and should and would assert themselves upon other people's property. The crow had drowned in the bucket of stagnant water around the pony keg in my backyard. The same water that used to be ice around the same keg from the same party I threw Saturday night where that same neighbor had once been a guest, had once returned later, all alone after drowning himself in a different bucket, a bucket of Budweiser's and probably Crown and Coke and broke into my house, then my bedroom, than my passive, passed out personal space. I guess the water got stagnant from all that slime, from two weak bars, from closed down bars, from badly parked cars, until I just wasn't able to clean up the mess from that party. Until the pony keg and its bucket of melted ice stayed in the yard for a bit too long. How long? I don't really know but it was long enough to drown a crow.
2: I think that that will uh, hit a lot of people the way that it hit me. And I think there's a wonderful, um, there's a wonderful, although there's a lot of darkness there, there's something wonderful to unify in. And I just... You know i just applaud you for um being able to go there but in in such a, a a captivating way your words are just incredible absolutely incredible
1: thank you my heart is like beating out of my chest right now.
2: yes i bet um
1: that is it's uh you know, I love that piece because I feel like it is the like epitome of taking something that was very horrible and turning it into something that is beautiful mm-hmm. that I like hold in my hand. Like I'm doing, you can't see this if you're listening, but I'm doing this gesture where I like, I'm holding it in my hand, like a treasure, yeah. the treasure. And then, um, you know, thank you, Ellie. I think that There are so many women, I know that, I don't think that, I know that there are so many women who have had an experience similar to that due to alcohol. And because it was due to alcohol, um, in my case, there was no, even though I pressed charges, they dropped the case because I was drunk. Therefore, my female uh, attorney, said, because I was drunk, there was no way that they would ever convict me. So that, you know, so many women don't even talk about things like that. They don't even talk about it to themselves because of mm-hmm. that very same stigma. Is it somehow because, because I had drank myself into a passed out coma, that that somehow made me, um, pray for the taking like that I had somehow like offered that up mm-hmm. uh which is you know it's still kind of the way society looks at things like that unfortunately yeah,
2: yeah. and it's it, not right uh, no it's not it's not and um I going to be sniffing now because I'm in I am teary um I think the there's another layer to it as well as a, as a parent, so in thinking about you know your your children, so I have of um, two girls and I've got a boy, and I'm I'm very grateful, and I feel very blessed to have uh, come to the place that I'm at now with with alcohol where. You know, it's aside from it's my my life because I coach people. It's not a thing. Like it's just I was writing a post earlier and using you know Annie's words of I drink as much as I want whenever I want. I just don't happen to want to drink, and and I'm not quite you know my kids are young. so I'm, I'm not quite at the the stage where I need to talk to them about alcohol in in terms of their own um, consumption. Uh, if and when we get to that point and they do want to go down that road, they, they, they talk about alcohol a lot now because, <laughs> because they know what I do. Um, but it, th- there is this additional layer to it now for me. It's uh, the, I, I've, I've always struggled with justice has always been a thing for me where if I feel that something is not just, I I struggle with it. And that is a lot of the mindset work that I've had to do in the last couple of years has has surrounded that very thing. So I I think that, you know, aside from personal experience, I think it it hit me, that particular poem hit me because of the uh, unjustness, is that the right word? And, uh, but also this Uh, I don't want to say anxiety because I don't sit in anxiety worrying about what my children are going to do, but there's a responsibility. So we, we, you know, in in this naked mind, speak again. We we say that with regards to things like our relationship with alcohol, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility, and and that responsibility for me extends to ensuring that there are some very difficult conversations that I'm going to have to have with with my own children. Um, at a point uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that I have the tools that I have now and will certainly have more by the time I need to have that conversation with them it's it's a real gift because this to drown a crow is the reality right this this is the stuff that happens and sadly doesn't get talked about yeah and um I I agree with you 100 I have young kids
1: you, a boy and a girl, six and eight. And, um, you know, I think one of the big things that drew me to this naked mind is that whole idea of reclaiming your power. And, um, that poem is just one of the many examples of how I had given away my power for so many years Mm. because of alcohol or through alcohol or, you know, um, and I think about that a lot with my children too. Just about that, if somebody had talked to me about how about my personal power as a woman and how alcohol took that away from me, if I'd have thought about drinking in that way when I was younger, I don't know if I would have drank as much. I mean, maybe I would have. I don't know. But but I never thought about it that way. I thought that I was being more powerful by drinking. Yes. If that makes sense. Like I, I thought that I was like awesome and cool and I would drink and it would like give me wings. And um, I realize that that's totally not true now. And so um, I think about that, like with my own kids and how, yeah, eventually down the road when we are at the point where they're being faced with consumption of alcohol, that loss of control, that loss of power um, and having them really sit with the idea of, is that something that they want to do? Mm. how does that how's that going to feel to completely give your power away
2: mm. that's so interesting how you describe it like that I, I absolutely absolutely agree with you and funnily enough the episode that we were that we recorded recently with Amy that will be last week's episode as people are listening to this uh Amy was talking about that you know I think we're, we're all of a similar age and there, there was this Ladette culture I don't know whether that came over um, the Atlantic to the States, but there was this Laddette culture here in the UK. And it was, you know, all, just as you say, like this, you're you're more powerful because you are keeping up with the men in terms of drinking and so on. And so it was very much encouraged and, you know, really quite dangerous and and reckless. But for me, that was you know, as I said, because of this um, running away that I was doing, because of this trying to escape, uh, you know, that I couldn't be the person that I truly was because that person was not good enough, that it was almost a way to kind of kill off that, like, through, you know, pure self-sabotage, which is, is frightening, looking back. Like, I... That young girl, I just... I feel for her so much. And and that is absolutely not what I want. Not surprisingly, that is not what I want for my own children.
1: Right.
2: Right. If only we could, only they would just listen to us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck to us having those conversations. (laughs) Right. Um, There's another relationship that stood out. And again, I think we've got some commonality here in that um, I, I, uh, I lost my father when I was 20. And last this time last year, I was rounding upon my first year of being alcohol free. Uh, I just started out as a coach with this naked mind. And uh, the anniversary that was coming up of my father's death was 20 years. So it was like a big milestone. And I uncovered grief, that I just simply hadn't processed. And I was feeling all of this grief for the very, very first time. And you talk about your father, you talk about your father in a few of your poems, but specifically you talk about him in, in rear view and the, the, uh, the, the, the words that you use around the, the piece of, like the hole that that leaves in a person Again, like I, I, I feel that so much, and and what I'm now, what I've been working through, and I will continue to work through, is like I, I feel my father. I very much do. Like he's, he's around, but it's it's a, it's in a very different way. It's like this, um, it's like a rediscovery of my relationship with him too. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you
1: are you are coming at that relationship from not a different person from your original person.
2: Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That poem is
1: actually about my father-in-law. Oh, your father-in-law. The theme of father. Yeah. My father is in the book. My husband's father is in the book. So my journey and my husband's journey are like uh, overlapping and interconnected. And I weave that in throughout this book because of our healing separately and our healing together and how that has impacted the both of us in this intense way. And My father-in-law, my husband's father, passed away in March. And um, the relationship between the two of them was so very different between the relationship between me and my father. Um, their relationship had a lot of st- Rocky uh, struggles. Um, My husband's dad abandoned him for a while as a child, and um, and then came back, um, and and they rebuilt things. Um, It just a lot of broken promises, a lot Mm -hmm. of fear between them, and in the end, um, they were able to make peace, which was really beautiful. But it it happened because of all my husband's work on his healing. His personal healing journey and and through his sobriety and all of that as well. Um, And so the relationships between us and our fathers are like strangely parallel, but different. Mm. So I wrote that poem through the lens of my husband as we said goodbye to his father um, and held his hand for the last time in March and pulled away. And the clarity. Because my husband was sober by that time, you know, and the clarity with which he was able to appreciate um, what they went through together as father and son, in the end, it was like the most amazing thing in the world to watch from a slightly outside third party. (laughs) Um, You know, which of course wouldn't have been possible if my husband had not done all of that work, um, all of his own work healing. And uh, so it, the parallel to my own dad, my own dad is much like my study. And, um, he's still alive. And he has always been uh, kind of my unconditional champion. And um, supported me even when I was a complete hot mess. Um, you know, he scraped me up off the the. Uh, Figurative pavement, so so many times, and yet still, like loved me.
2: That's so beautiful. It really is. um You know, the the relationship with your parents is. uh, God, I'm gonna, gonna cry again. It's. It it, it's just so important. It's so important, and it's going to change over the years. But to have, like you said, that like no matter what, the unconditional love of your father is just pure and beautiful. And you know, I feel a um, a great sense of loss, obviously, for not having my father around, and I missed out on 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 an awful lot, even when he was alive. Um, and that meant that I had a lot of, uh, within the grief, I also had a lot of other emotions to process, but it's interesting because what you talk about there, like the, this unconditional love, like I, I I can feel that now, whereas I possibly wouldn't have felt that before I feel that now. So even though my father is no longer embodied, I still feel, I still feel him and I feel that unconditional um, love. So he would be scraping me up off the pavement if, um, you know, <laughs> figuratively
1: yes. speaking. Well, you know, it's so beautiful that you, how you can feel your relationship with him almost deepening in this yes new clarity yeah. of sobriety, even though he's been gone for so long. Um, what a perfect example of one of those things on the ocean floor. there it is your relationship with your father and now you have this um this increased connection to him Mm, mm. that's so beautiful
2: Mm. yeah there's some incredible shipwrecks to be found for sure just got to be brave enough to have your diver's gear on or to wait for the sea to go you know the water to drain um we talked before about uh mccormick's creek august 23rd and i think that might be a nice place for us to this kind of feels like we, we may end up reconvening at a later date because there are, i've got i've got a list of about six or seven feeling. more but um
1: <laughs> yeah might, i could talk to you guys for hours
2: <laughs> it might be, be nice. very welcome to yes yeah we <laughs> oh, can do good. a whole series <laughs> yeah, don't oh, worry. Right. this can it. be
0: uh, however many parter that's all good <laughs>
1: Love it. Um, yeah, McCormick's Creek, August twenty third. It is an act of magic how water can turn a gray river rock emerald green, as if its brilliance was just waiting patiently for this moment of consequence. How, as we age, even our most lucid and palpable fantasies snap and scatter like wishbones in smoke, only to re- be reborn through surrender. Cracked and imperfect and wonderful. I wrote that on my birthday, my forty-fourth birthday.
2: It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen Sam so quiet.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, it's funny. Like I was sitting here thinking to myself shit this is this is a different one just <laughs> just in the moment i think I, as i deepen my connection to the formless i mean a bit recently i've been really doing a huge amount of work with that and i think it's so healing when we touch that space and i started pausing a lot more i have started listening a lot deeper listening listening like you listen to music like I've realized that I used to listen with my intellect like listen for the note and the octave shift and it's like now now I listen for a feeling
2: mm.
0: I listen for an experience
1: Listen with your body yeah and I, read, your body. I
0: read I read for an experience or listen for an experience and that is a that's when something in the words touches the place that's authentic and real then I don't know yeah instantly yeah I, j- I just felt like it was that Ellie I don't know I just felt like I was just uh enjoying listening to you to chat and explore and uh it felt like a, a good one for me to do that so just been blissing out in that oh, so, yeah. I can see bliss you. on
2: your face no it's 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 beautiful it really is like I oh I I feel so th- this is I think this has probably been our calmest episode because we're normally quite hyper and it's been so wonderful (laughs) to record something that is just um just easeful and intricate and it's been a really wonderful experience and once again I'm just I'm so thankful for you sharing with us and coming to us and being this being your first interview too so for people to uh, find out what you're up to, like, t- tell us all of the stuff. So tell us about your Instagram and what's happening next with um, your book launch and all of the stuff. Where can people find you? Well,
1: um, so here's what it looks like. So by the time this airs, uh, it, it'll be on Amazon. Um, There'll be, there's a link to purchase it from pretty much whatever country you're in. Um and uh, I also have a book website, UnexpectedAlchemyBook.com, where there will also be a link on there to click. They'll take you directly to the, the Amazon site. Um, and Soul's Truth Coaching is where I update my happenings. Um, I'm in Columbus, Indiana, which is like right smack in the middle of the United States of America. <laughs> We're a small, little small town. I'm originally from Chicago, Uh which everybody knows Chicago. But um, I moved to Columbus about six years ago to get out of the big city with my kids. And um, You know, it's a heavy drinking culture here. And so I'm trying to do a lot in my community with um, make it, getting rid of the stigma attract, attached to drinking and recovering and healing and, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah. So I, I am launching my book. I'm trying to going on my own personal book tour i am my own agent and my own publicist so so, um when i you know when i get enough money to get my ticket and when COVID clears up and i I can come to the uk and uh, have a have a reading and a signing and fill the auditoriums cool (laughs) yes yes absolutely Um, that's gonna be dream big I, i you know what i'm just gonna dream as big as i want to be my one of my dear friends said that um, this is all about inner child. And that as long as I'm having fun doing all this stuff, that's all that really matters. Like it's not mm. about how many people read my book or how many people like the poems or, you know, it's just about that feeling. It's like the present moment feeling of, am I having fun doing this right now? Yeah. Okay. Then let's keep doing it.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, and um, this has been really fun. As- <laughs> it's been super fun and what you say is so right you know the one of the things that i teach in my group coaching is around you know everyone's searching for this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and the gold is the rainbow right so you know don't don't miss out on it in search of this this pot at the end of it You've, you've got it right now it's all right now so i love that you're dreaming big and it's you know. That's what
1: that poem is all about, the McCormick's Creek poem. I mean, that's really what it's all about.
2: It's right
1: there. It's a gray river rock. It's a fucking rock. Just put it in some
2: water. Yeah. and it's beautiful. <laughs> that's the best place I could think of uh, to end it. Man, it's beautiful. <laughs> it sure is.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us for a really different and, and special episode. And I know that Sky will be really excited that this is airing. And, uh, you know, go and check out her links and, uh, and grab a copy of Unexpected Alchemy because it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful read. Um, as you can see, it had quite an impact on us. Awesome. As I say, go join that Facebook group. Have an amazing week. And get ready for some awesome um, updates and uh, yeah, launches on the way. I'll say no more, but there'll be lots coming out on this soon. Awesome team. Have a great week.